All right, so the book of 2 Thessalonians will be in the book of 2 Thessalonians. And while I'm thinking about it, I'm going to change the location of the meeting after the service just over here to my left. And so those of you that are in that meeting will meet right over there. Uh, 2 Thessalonians, and th- this evening I'm going to, we're going to take our text from one verse of Scripture in chapter 2 and then one verse of Scripture in chapter 3 of the book of 2 Thessalonians. And uh, I appreciate that song that was just sung, and uh, it, it's going to go right in uh, with my message in many ways uh, tonight. And so I appreciate them being on the same page as me. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter number 2 to begin with. And as I mentioned earlier in the service, I want to be very, very practical. Um, I, I'm doing a, a, a study uh, right now on uh, the faith, and I'm not going to preach on that tonight, but, it, but you'll understand what I'm saying. I'm doing a study on the faith. Uh, I'm doing a study, uh, of course, we've been talking much about Paul, much about Paul's writings, uh, the, the milk of the word, the meat of the word, and uh, why we have the word. Uh, the word of God and the work of God is not about just gaining more knowledge. Now, let me say, you're supposed to increase the knowledge of the word of God, but we learn the word of God so that we can do so that we can be active in our Christian life. Uh, The Christian life is not a life of of no movement. Uh, We should grow as a Christian, and how we grow is to grow in how we do things. Uh, It's important that we hold to things that we've always held to. Uh, It's important that you and I keep the priority of our relationship to God. Uh, We come to church on Sunday because it's His day, It's because we are told to assemble ourselves together. Uh, But I hope you come, and I hope we keep our focus also on the fact uh, that it it keeps, we learn in our knowledge, but it keeps us close to Him. The more I learn about God, the closer I can be to Him. The more I learn about uh, this book, the more I can incorporate these things in my life so that I can please Him in a greater way. So I want us to always be uh, looking at not just the doctrinal side, which that's very important. I preached about that last Sunday night. But if I could put it this way, the practical side of executing what the Bible says. And so tonight we're going to look at a very uh, important principle, uh, which is going to lead me to uh, a, a little simple outline that I want to give this evening. And so let's look at our text tonight, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and let's read first verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, and we saw it last Sunday night, if you think back to last Sunday night, and Paul says a lot to Timothy about doctrine. Uh, You'll read in the epistles much about doctrine. Of course, here, Paul is writing this letter, and he's mentioning traditions. Uh, now, men's traditions do not save us, but the Bible never says men's traditions are not important. Uh, there are some traditions that we hold to. Do y'all remember back when I, I taught for that year on Wednesday nights on the Emerging Church? And uh, three of you remember that, and so that's good. And so um, I made a statement several times. You, you, you cannot take the... Um, methods of the emerging church without getting the doctrine of the emerging church because the methods come from the doctrine. Likewise, you cannot give up the methods of the New Testament church without giving up 
the doctrine of the New Testament church because they're tied together. There are some things we do, and there's a reason why we do them. Uh, the, the Old Testament mentions about don't remove not the ancient landmark. There's a reason why it's there. Uh, it, it's, it's dangerous for us as Americans to get upset at the history that's being erased in our nation and not being cautious about the tradition or the doctrine that have been passed down to us from the Word of God. Now, get upset about the change of history. But you have to apply that all the way across the board. Chapter number 3, verse number 6. Now we command you, brethren. All right? Pretty strong words we're seeing, right? Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is a pretty strong admonition. We're giving you a command in the name of Jesus that ye withdraw yourselves. Break unity. That's a word we hear a lot today. Unity. Well, we just, we got, we, we're all the same. We all have the same. True, but my Bible says there's a command in the name of Jesus that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that is a drunken fool. Is that what your Bible says? Nope. That walketh disorderly. Let's see how that's defined. And not after the tradition which he received of us. Now, I'm going to use this text, and I'm going to make a couple of comments, a couple more comments after we pray and emphasize and emphasize once again the importance of us holding to the things that we have always done. Now, I'm going to use that to give the outline that I want to give tonight, and I want to, I want to preach, be feel like, more like a Wednesday night Bible study tonight, but on this subject, the reason for the altar call and the public invitation. The reason for the altar call and a public invitation. Got your attention now? Um, I want us to understand that as we do things like clockwork, there's some things we're always going to have. There's some things we always do. And I want you to understand why we do them. And I want us to be reminded of the importance of them. So stay with me tonight. And I want us, I want us to be helped by this. Father, I pray that you'll use the message tonight to help us, to strengthen us, to help us, to remind us of how important it is that we do some of the things that we do. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'll reiterate what I've already said. Traditions do not save. Uh, but there are traditions that we are to keep. Uh, there are, I, I think it's, 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 we, ought to, we ought to strive to keep traditions. I think uh, American, our American heritage, there's things that, well, why do we do that? Because I'm an American. Uh, that, that's, that's why I do it. Um, and some of you get mad when I, when I use this as a, as a simple illustration, but, you know, uh, I'm exempt from wearing a mask because I have a medical exemption. I suffer from freedomitis. And so, I mean, I, 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 I love, I mean, I, well, there's just some things, and those that aren't American, 
Dean, will make, make fun of us, uh, you, you, you silly Americans. Uh, and sometimes it is silly. Why do you do that? Because I'm an American. What is it? Because well, I can. There's some traditions that we got to hold to. Likewise, as a, as a, as a, as a family, I, I think you got to have family traditions. Uh, now, you don't have to be excommunicated because you don't keep a tradition, but traditions are important. Uh, they're very, very important. They keep us tied to who we are. I'll give, when I give some premarital counseling, I, one of the things I go over is, is the fact that, that you're both leaving father and mother, you're to form a new home. And in the process of that, you need to decide what your family traditions are going to be. Uh, y'all talk about it. Uh, what are true? Well, because it's important because it keeps you who you are. It reminds you of where you came from. Likewise, as a church, there are some things that are tradition that we should keep. We should hold to. Now, I'm preaching tonight from the perfect, inspired Word of God. This is not up for debate with me. I'm not going to debate it with you. This, there are hills that I will die on. There are hills that I'm not going to die on. This is a hill I will die on. It's a conviction with me. But there are traditions that I'm afraid if we're not careful, we'll lose the understanding of why they are important. See, Pastor, why are you saying all this? I thought you were talking about the invitation tonight and the altar call. I am, but it's important for us to realize our traditions are under attack. And you'll hear things like, well... That's just a man's tradition. Well, the Apostle Paul reminds us that traditions are important. There's a reason why we do them, and Paul goes so far to say as to mark those who walk disorderly and those that leave the tradition. Uh, beware of those that attack and make little of traditions. And, and, and there's some things that are very, very important. And I think a good contrast, and I'll move into the, the invitation tonight, is, is, is a lot of the trend of a lot of churches that we have a traditional service and we have a contemporary service. That ought to tell you all you need to know right there. Uh, do you have a traditional service? Absolutely. Do you have a contemporary service? No, we don't. Uh, there's some things we're going to hold to. One of these things that we need to understand why we do it, why we have it. By, by the way, we need to be very, very careful to change. Uh, well, that's, you, you, there's, not, there's nothing in the Bible about, okay, but if I change, I can get used to change. We've got to be very, very careful about change and not understanding why we do what we do. Now, tonight, I'm going to give you some scriptural background and some scriptural principles on why uh, we have an altar call and a public invitation. Uh, it is very important, as we had one this morning, we'll have one after the service tonight. It's very important to understand why. And you say, Pastor, I've already been saved. That's but a part of why we have an altar call and a public invitation. Uh, and I hope tonight through this, we are reminded of why we have it and then even convicted of why we have not used it. And it's very important for us to understand why it's part of our service. 
Now, you and I, we have a responsibility on a daily basis to fellowship with our God. Isn't that wonderful that you, as a child of God, the Spirit of God lives within you, and God can speak directly to you. You can speak directly to God. You don't have to go through a man to do it. It's called the priesthood of believers. You can talk to your God. It's your responsibility. It'll keep you, if you speak to God on a daily basis, you let God speak to you on a daily basis, it will keep you in fellowship with Him. So it's important that we do so. But God does give us the church to assemble together to help us grow so that we can reach the world. Now, let me give you five things tonight, five reasons why uh, the altar call and public invitation is a tradition we should keep in practice. Number one, it is an invitation to come. I want us to be reminded God is a God of invitation. Uh, When you got saved, God didn't hold you down and make you choose him as I preached this morning. Uh, God is a God of invitation. Aren't you glad God invites all to come to him? God is a God who invites the the lost to be saved. God is a God who, who invites the prodigal to return. God is a God of invitation. Uh, God is a God also of decision. When, When we are confronted with Scripture, it is so that we must decide what we're going to do with the Scripture. Uh, That's why uh, we go soul winning, because it's confrontational, because that's the way God is. Uh, That's why God said it's by the foolishness of preaching, because preaching is different than teaching, because preaching brings you to a point where you must make a decision. It's not just the imparting of knowledge. Uh, Some of you could testify. You can sit in front of a teacher and not learn a thing and leave and go on to the next day. But preaching is different. Preaching is designed to bring the listener to a decision. Why is that? Because God is a God of decision. The invitation is part of the service because it presents or it's there so to help bring a person to a decision. When the invitation comes, it is an invite to do business with what God has done in your heart. But I wonder how many times we as Christians treat it like a simple classroom lecture. That was nice. We ignore what God is trying to do in our life. We ignore the growth that could take place. And we ignore the invitation to make a decision. It is important that we understand every time we're in the house of God, we are there for the Spirit of God to do business with us. That's why you should prepare your heart before you get here so that you are ready for God to deal with your life. Sometimes we need to be encouraged. We need God to to remind us that He's faithful and He's true and He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Sometimes we need to be under great conviction because of what's going on in our life. The Spirit of God is very aware of what we need. And that invitation is is a place so that we can make a decision. Why? Because God is a God of invitation to come. 
2 Corinthians 6.2 reminds us, that it says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Decide now to be saved. Uh, God wants the decision made now. James 4.14, a verse that I've emphasized much. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. That verse brings in context that we don't have time to put off serving God. We don't have time to wait. We've got a life. It's here. It's gone. It vanishes away. Why? Because God reminds us that now is the time to make a decision. Do what you need to do now. Joshua 24, 15, very well-known verse in the Bible when Joshua says to the people, choose you sometime whom you will serve. No, this day. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Well, they need time to, to research, and, and they needed time to figure out what, the, what was best for their family, and they needed time to get counseling from this person and this person. And, and, and can you imagine if they had treated Joshua, and, and, and you'll find that some chose but they chose the wrong way. He said, well, we'll get back to you. We've got to really pray on this for a little while before we decide. God is a God of decision. And tonight, when we have an invitation, it's up to us to respond to how God spoke to us. It's an invitation to come. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is but a few examples of the fact that that invitation represents, that invitation is there because God wants us to make a decision. We have an opportunity every time we are confronted with the Spirit of God and the Word of God to come. Well, have you ever invited a co-worker, a neighbor, a family member, a random stranger that's, that's burdened and that just needs to get get some help and just needs to get encouraged and just is beat up by life. And you say, well, just come to church and it'll help you. Because God is, an God is a God of invitation. He invites you to come. It, 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 it saddens me and it breaks this preacher's heart to know that some are burdened down and that some are, are even a crossroads in their life. Some are just beat up by this world, and they'll come and they'll sit in the house of God, and you'll say, praise the Lord, they're here. But then when there's an opportunity for them to do something with what God has said, God has said, come, and I'll help you with that burden. Come, and I'll help you get back on the right track. No decision is made. We have the altar call because God is a God that says, Come. Number two, it is an invitation to confess. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Well, have you ever thought about how many people have been saved at an altar, in a church, like this church? It would be staggering because this has been a Bible-preaching, altar-call-having church for decades if we really understood how many have had their eternity changed from hell to heaven at the altar. 
When God says come, it's a place of confession. Confessing the need of salvation. That's why, friend, on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night, for that matter, you've got to pay attention to who's around you. You say, well, this one doesn't apply to me. I'm already saved. Well, friend, thank God you're saved, and thank God for the altar uh, that you got saved at, no matter where you got saved. Thank, Thank God you got saved. But remember, there are others who will sit in our midst. We need to be aware of who's around us. Boy, we ought to make an effort because there is an altar call. There is an invitation to confess, to get others under the preaching of the gospel. Well, if, if, if you feel comfortable witnessing to someone, inviting somebody, many of you, and if not most of you, could open the Bible and show somebody else how to be saved. But even if you're not comfortable in that, uh, you ought to have in your mind, if I could just get them to church, they're going to hear the gospel. That's why during the invitation time, it is a time to be doing, dealing with what God has spoken to you about, but be aware that there might be somebody lost and on their way to hell in the invitation. It's not a time to check out. Well, I can think back to some of you were there. I know, Brother Sally, you can relate to this. When I was in Bible college and when Dr. Hiles got to the invitation, it's as if if you slipped out there to the invitation, it's as if you were going to go to hell. No, oh, he used to rant and rave. Don't you leave during the invitation. I used to say, Relax. Not out loud in my mind. (laughs) But oh, it's a reminder that there's some who if they don't confess at that invitation to come, they'll slip into eternity never making that decision. Number three, it's an invitation to cleanse. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Obviously, if we confess our sins and turn to the Lord and acknowledge, as I, read, as I mentioned in Romans 10, 9, obviously we are, we are, we, God will save us, but I believe this verse speaks specifically to as a Christian. Uh, how many of you are saved tonight? How many of you have been saved longer than a day? Guess what? You've sinned since you got saved. Some of you have sinned in the last five minutes, but that's a whole nother. We'll have an invitation in a moment to deal with that. But you know, as I mentioned earlier, isn't it wonderful that you can start your day in the Word of God? Isn't it wonderful that you can start your day and the Spirit of God is so real? He'll speak to you. Isn't it wonderful that throughout the day you're reminded that Maybe I shouldn't have said that, or maybe I shouldn't have said it that way, or I failed to do this, and you can say, God, I'm sorry I failed you. He is faithful to forgive. Aren't you glad before you go lay your head on your pillow at night, you can pause for a moment, and you can think about the goodness of God and how He's blessed you all day? You can think and ask the Spirit of God, would you bring to my mind how I failed today? And oh, before you lay your head on your pillow at night, you can just pray a simple prayer and say, Lord, I'm sorry I failed you in this area, in this area. 
And I, and, and I said this I shouldn't have said. I did this I shouldn't have, have done. I, I, I failed you in these ways. And knowing because of this verse of Scripture, he is faithful and just. I am thankful that I don't have to go sit in a glorified phone booth and confess to some man my sins, and he can't do anything about them. I often wonder, why isn't that two-way? I'm thankful that I don't have to schedule that. I can, in the moment, I can bow my head and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And it's done. It's clean. And by the way, this isn't the message tonight, but some of you need to be reminded of that, that it's God's faithfulness, not your unfaithfulness, that we need to remember. But in addition to that daily time with God, in addition to the fact that we have a Spirit of God who can convict us all day long every time we fail, we ought to be thankful for that. It is undeniable that the Spirit of God and the Word of God does things in the church and in a church service in addition to our daily walk. And He deals with us in ways that he doesn't deal with us when it's just us in the Word of God. And many times he sends the pastor with a message that speaks specifically in an area that you wouldn't deal with with yourself and brings to mind some things in your life so that you can do what? Know what you already know, that you're failing in this area? Know what you already know, that you ought to be, be, be sorry about this? Not just that so that when the invitation time comes, you can get that right with God. It is a shame, and it is something we need to be reminded of, and we say, I thank God I'm in a Bible-preaching church. I thank God the Spirit of God is there, and we should. I thank God for conviction from the Word of God. But this evening, I want you to think very clearly, what are you doing with that? It is a tragic thing for the child of God to be dealt with in a very specific way by the Spirit of God while we're in the house of God, listening to the Word of God, and nod our head and say yes and do nothing about it. Now, the altar is not the only place you can get right with God. But it's certainly an invitation to come and to cleanse our heart. I don't, I don't want people to think, oh, see, if you get to a place where you just, you just, you just got to be right with your God. God, I, I got to deal with this now. It's an invitation to cleanse. Number four, it's an invitation to commit. God is a God of decision. God is a God of commitment. You know, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, as you gave testimony of just a moment ago when you raised your hand, do you realize when you trusted Christ as your Savior, God committed some things to you? God is a God of commitment. I was saved just shy of my fifth birthday, and I'm 46 years of age now. I've been saved ever since. Say, Pastor, does that mean you lived the perfect life? Close, but no. 
So why are you still saved? Because God committed to me. He is a God of commitment. He's a God of public commitment. It's no wonder that the first thing after a person trusts Christ as their Savior, the first step of obedience is to follow the Lord in baptism. Not because baptism saves, because it does not. I illustrated that this morning. But because it is saying, I am now committed. It is a public acknowledgement of the fact that I'm now a child of God. I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. See, why is it important for a new Christian to get, be scripturally baptized? Because if they won't make it public, if they won't publicly say, I'm identified with Christ, they're not going to grow. Likewise, Christian, you ought to be very quick to make public things that need to be made public. It is an invitation to commit. That's why there are times, and, and obviously we're very blessed, but a lot of it's because of the emphasis we put. We've got many that sit in the, in the building this evening who feel like as God has called them to preach. And by the way, every one of them are male. Why? What do we do? You know how it is. This is so-and-so. They come and they, and they, they feel like God has, has called them to preach and they want you to know about it. We make it public because you're a lot more likely to keep it if it's public. When you make a decision for the Lord and say, I'm surrendering my life to do this, and sometimes it's just necessary to say, the Lord has been working in my heart, and I want to rededicate my life. I, I, I just, it, it, and what is that? That is a public thing of saying, I've just got, God's been working in my life, and I want you to know about it, and I want to acknowledge it publicly of what God's doing in here. And that puts responsibility on the person responding, but it puts responsibility on the church as well. I'm glad he made that public so we can hold him accountable. But when it's made public, you're accountable to pray. It's a big deal. It's an invitation to commit. I wonder how many times Christians, the Spirit of God works in their heart about something and prods them to go to the altar. Not even something that needs to be presented to the church. But if I'm willing to walk down there, I'm more likely to commit it. wonder how many times they've refused to make any decision because they did not want to make that commitment. That's why if you come to me and say, Pastor, the Lord's been working in my life, and this is what I think is going on, I'm going to say, okay, when are we going to make it public? Well, I don't know. I need some time. Well, how committed are you? Because if you're committed, you're okay letting the church know. You're okay letting everybody know. If you're going to live your life, you're going to give your life to God, you're okay letting everybody know I'm giving my life to God. Because it puts accountability because we said publicly, now we've got to go live it publicly. Uh, it's an invitation to commit. 
Uh, why is it the Christians are so slow to commit? Say, Pastor, I just don't know if I can commit. I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just give you a preview of Saturday, choir members. I'm reminding you that singing the choir is a commitment in what it means to be committed. As we meet in all these ministries, I'm reminding you what it means to serve in these ministries and the commitment that is required. Well, I don't know if I can serve. Well, if, if you want to give up a crown in heaven, if you want to give up being a blessing because you, you're not ready to make that commitment, that's between you and God. But why is it we'll be so quick to make a commitment on a bad car loan? And we won't make a commitment to the Lord. It'd be, it'd be a shame. It'd be a shame for the Spirit of God to do a work amongst us in no way for a Christian to commit. The invitation is, is, it is, it is there to com- is an invitation to commit. Number five, and the last one I'll mention, is an invitation to consecrate. We are set apart by salvation, and we should be, live a life that is set apart to honor and glorify God. And as I seek the will of God Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night to preach from His book the message that He wants to be preached. I want you to understand how supernatural a work it is that God does. You don't have the view I have tonight, but I'm reminded by just glancing around the auditorium how special God's church is. And how this, even this crowd tonight, there are, is a group of people that are dealing with so many different things and you're at different places in your life and different, you've been saved for different lengths of time and there's some, as I mentioned, needs encouragement tonight and there's some that I mentioned you need to be under conviction tonight and and, and, and there's some that are discouraged, there's some that are encouraged, and, and it's like, okay, pastor, fix us. Pastor can't fix you. If, if I fixed you, it might be like they fixed that old lame horse, but that's a whole other subject there. Pastor, fix me. No, but understand what God does in the supernatural word of God as your pastor seeks the will of God. And Lord, what would you have me bring to your people? I bring the prepare the message and bring the message, even this one this evening, that I feel like God wants us to have. And I'm just faithful. I do my best to be faithful just to preach the word of God, just to preach the message so that you can be helped. And God in his omniscience, God in his power, takes that thought and allows it to help everybody in the service. And then we finish it all up with an invitation to say, come do what God, come deal with how God has spoken and worked in your life. And I make that, I say, may I say all that to make this point. There's a lot of growth that could take place in your life if you use the invitation to consecrate. Let me tell you something. It feels a whole lot more like you and God down here than it does out there. And you can do business with God out there. And I understand, I'm not saying if, if you have a hard time if you need three people to help you get, down, get up and down, don't come fall on the altar. 
we might forget about you and leave you there. So understand what I'm saying when I say this, but it is an invitation for you to do business with God. To consecrate. To give your life to grow. Boy, if I gave time to give testimony, some of you would give testimony of the changing time in your Christian life. It sets you on a different trajectory. God dealt with your heart in a Sunday night service and the invitation to come to the altar was given and you came down and you didn't know what you were doing, really. You just knew that God was doing something in here and you came down and sometimes you knew exactly what to say. But sometimes you knelt in that altar and you couldn't say a word. You didn't know how to say it. But you just knew that you wanted God to do something in your life. You wanted God to change you. You wanted God to use you in a greater way. You had to have him do something and all you knew to do is when the pastor said come as God has led you to come and you came down to this altar and say God here am I many of you would give testimony that was a changing time in your family's future it was the thing and tonight quite frankly some of you you're spinning your wheel spiritually and if you'd leave the, the aisle and come down to the altar and say, God, I'm going to deal with what you've been dealing with me with, not just tonight, but for some time. I'm going to surrender in this area. I'm going to give this up that I know I shouldn't have. And you make that commitment to God. Not only will your life be changed, not only will some of your struggles go away, but God will help you do it. I've been praying. I've been thinking, yep, I probably should do something about that. Why don't you make an altar? Why don't you come down here and say, God, I want you, you've got to do something. Why don't you not be afraid of saying, Pastor, you've got to help me? I want to publicly say that I'm rededicating my life. I want to make sure, I want to make public. This call. I want, I want the, you know what will happen? Uh, we all should, and, I, and I'm certain we all don't, but we all should say, I'm going to pray for them. I don't need to know what's going on, but I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for God to work in there. I'm going to pray for God to encourage them. But it's an invitation to consecrate. Why is it that we want God to do the supernatural in our life and we won't even bow a knee? There's a lot of talk nowadays about bowing knees. Just not at an old-fashioned altar. I think if we had a revival of Christians bowing the knee in our churches, there'd be a lot less taking a knee in this world. Why, Why do we expect God to do the supernatural when we will not even make an effort Again, I'm not saying God. the only place God speaks to you is at an altar at the end of the service. But I am saying He speaks to you differently at an altar at the end of a service than He does anywhere else. There's some traditions that we must hold to. Pastor, I, I, feel, I, feel, I feel the pressure, and I, I feel like... I feel like everybody's looking at me. You're not the only one who's felt that way. It's not everybody looking at you. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There ain't nobody paying attention to you. 
But it's the Spirit of God putting you under conviction. What should I do? Respond. Respond. I've been your pastor more than seven and a half years now. You know me fairly well. You know where I put pressure and where I don't put pressure. You know that I'm just going to preach and I'm going to go home and I've done my responsibility and it's in your court. We've got a great church. Not a good church, we've got a great church. But I wonder what God would do in your life. I don't need, feel the need to pressure you to do anything. But why would you not succumb to the pressure that the Spirit of God puts you under? Boy, there's going to be that invitation to come. Why? Because God is a God that says, come. If you stray away from Him, aren't you glad He's always saying, come? Come. It's a place of confession. How many have gotten saved at an old-fashioned altar? It's a place of cleansing. It's a place of commitment. What is it that you need to commit to tonight? Some of you need to remember, quite frankly, you need to remember when you did make a public commitment. Isn't it amazing? You two are in the military, aren't you? Are you waiting, Nathaniel, to go there? All right. You signed a commitment, didn't you? Did you ever change your mind? Has there ever been days when you said, eh, maybe I don't want to do this? So what do you do? You walk in and say, I've decided that I'm going in a different direction in my life. It was an emotional decision. I was forced into it. But now that I'm older and more mature, it's not what I want to do with my life. All those things may be true, but there's nothing you can do about it. If you're going to try that, let me know how that goes. But how many Christians have come down to an altar after God has done business in their heart? said, I commit, I want to make public, and quite frankly, you, frankly, you have forgotten the commitment that you have made. It would be good for you to be reminded, because God hasn't forgotten. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if every time, every one of us, every one of us, God worked in our heart at the end of a service like this, we responded as he would have us respond? If I'm just frustrated, maybe you wouldn't be frustrated about something in your life. You know, I, I, think, I think we can pray. We all know. We all know of a prodigal, don't we? You know what? I can, I can kneel by my bed and pray for a prodigal. And I've done that. I can be in my office, as I do every week, and pray for prodigals that I know. But I wonder what would happen if we took that burden down here as a church from time to time. You know somebody who's lost on their way to hell? Well, one, you ought to witness to them. 
Oh, we, I wonder if we pray for the lost. I wonder what would happen if we would flood the altars again and say, God, you've got to do something. Oh, you've got a life that's a vapor. How quickly, how quickly it seems to slip away. It's here and then it's gone. I wonder what would happen if every time a child of God, God did something in their life. Hey, don't, don't, it's been said and it's become kind of cliche, but it's so true. I'm going to say it again tonight. Don't get upset because you come to a church and the Spirit of God works you over with conviction. You ought to be concerned if you can sit through the Word of God being preached and the Spirit of God being evident and you not fall under conviction. But what should we do about it? My, my point tonight is there's several points in this. One, there's some traditions, there's some, re- there's, some re- there's some reasons why we do some things. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, thou shalt have an altar call, a public invitation. But it's a tradition that we hold to, and there's some reasons I mentioned tonight that we will continue to hold to it. Because it's not just about what we know. It's about what we're doing with what we know. My my success in my Christian life and yours as well is not just increasing our knowledge. It's how much of us does God have. Quite frankly, that's what's happening to second and third generation Christians. That is why... Those who will grow up in churches just like this will leave the faith, leave the things of God. You know it all. You know more Bible than than those that have just been saved a short time. If you grew up in our Sunday school, you grew up in our Christian school, you grew up in this ministry, you hear more Bible, you know more Bible than some who come out of a Bible college. The difference is, when the Spirit of God deals with you, you treat it just as more knowledge, not as an opportunity to consecrate yourself in a greater way. I promise you this, and say, Pastor, that's easy for you to say, because you're up there conducting the altar call, and you don't have to come down. Friend, let me tell you, long before I walked this pulpit, the Spirit of God deals with my heart about my failures. The Spirit of God shows me my inadequacies. The day your pastor begins to treat the Spirit of God like so many church members treat him, when he speaks to them. Because today you see a pastor that walks to this pulpit and there's no power, there's no conviction, there's no effect by the word of God. If that's true for the preacher, it's true for the listener as well. Tonight, let's just be reminded of the purpose of why we have it. I want you to know the purpose. But in knowing the purpose, I want you to be ready to take advantage of the purpose. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. We're going to have an invitation. And if you feel inclined, I'd like for you to take advantage of it.
put the pressures on tonight, isn't it? But I say this, and I'm sincere when I, when, when, when I say it. This is a sacred place. Don't come to an altar and make light of it. But don't be afraid to come to the altar and use it. Father, I pray that you'll 